On Thursday, as I typically do when school is in session anyway, I visited a classroom and uh, somehow it was a very interesting conversation that started with crucifixion and they got into cannibalism and eating certain foods that we would consider uh, unsavory. Uh, but at one point I said that uh, as we were talking a little about crucifixion that we have in our gospel passage this day, uh, the, uh, a chance to re-examine and to look at a portion of the crucifixion account of Jesus. And I said it's the one involving the, the, the thieves. And I said, I, I, I refuse to call um, this one the good thief. And I said, do you want to know why? And one of the boys, without even missing a beat, said, because he wasn't a good thief, he got caught. <laughs> Which is exactly what I believe. But repentant thief, certainly. We don't know much about these two men that are crucified with Jesus. According to tradition, they are given names. Dismiss, the name of the repentant thief. Gismas, with a G, uh, the name of the unrepentant thief. We don't know their crimes ultimately. Uh, the, the word that is translated thief is listes, and that's an important word for, for uh, the conversation because it's not just a run-of-a-mill, somebody who, who just robs somebody uh, of a few dollars. A listes is a highwayman, a bandit, somebody who has uh, done violence or Listes is also somebody who, by their very act, has rejected, if they were a Roman citizen, would have rejected their citizenship. So somebody guilty of treason, perhaps, or insurrection, perhaps. Now, which of those crimes? We don't know, but most likely they were probably bandit, bandits, highwaymen, who held up travelers and were a nuisance to the peace that Rome wanted to bring. And Rome, as a result, had crucifixion as the punishment. According to uh, uh, Roman law, there were only three ways of capital punishment. The first was beheading. That was saved for citizens. St. Paul, being a citizen, was beheaded, and there's a few others in, in, uh, of the martyrs that were beheaded. The second was for those more violent crimes, beaten with rods. I personally think that would be the worst way to go. But crucifixion itself was the worst. It was saved for those, as already said, who by the very nature of the crime either weren't citizens or had given up their citizenship. It was reserved for the worst of the worst. And so as these two thieves are hanging beside Jesus, they're hanging there receiving a punishment that corresponds to the crime and Dismas says as much. You're under the same punishment and rightfully so. We've committed the crime. But Jesus is innocent. In fact, St. Luke's Gospel records the soldier who witnesses all these things, not crying out, surely this is the Son of God, but rather, surely this is an innocent man. It's not a reduction of who Jesus Christ is, but it's again a proclamation that somehow that Jesus was crucified, though he was innocent. In fact, the crime is simply that he was the king of the Jews. See, the I-N-R-I that adorns our crucifixes is an acronym for Jesus Christ, king of the Jews. 
That's the crime. In John's Gospel, the Jewish people go to Pilate and said, you should not have written, he is the king of the Jews. You should have written, he claimed to be the king of the Jews. And Pilate defends it. What I have written, I have written. He knew what the crime was. And certainly, Jesus was not guilty of that particular crime. Or, well, I'll take that back. He was, is king of the Jews, but he's, it's not a crime. If he is who he says he is, certainly, this was unjust. And yet, at the same time, in St. Louis Gospel, in the Gospels themselves, we find that it is necessary if you remember the road to Emmaus story, as Clopas and his companion are walking home from Jerusalem to, Jerry, uh, to uh, Emmaus that day, as I keep pointing out, they're leaving town just when it's getting good. But they're discussing all these things that had happened. And Jesus, oh, how slow of heart you are. Was it not necessary that the Christ should endure these things? Was it not necessary that he hang on the cross? And yet we have, in today's passage, we have the rulers and the soldiers and even the wicked thief himself, jeering, sneering, taunting. If you are the Messiah, save yourself. If you are the Messiah, come down from that cross. If you are the Messiah, make yourself known. Well, it's a false dichotomy. Jesus is the Messiah. But he's not going to come down from the cross because this is not only, only how he sees himself, though he had no, no need of salvation, but going through it to give himself to God the Father as an eternal act of praise and by this saving us. Gismas doesn't understand, are you not the Christ? Save yourself. And Dismas says it, have you no fear of God? Don't you understand? We're guilty. We deserve this. This one doesn't deserve it. And then he turns to the Lord. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. If we ponder those words, how can we help but be a little haunted by them? I don't deserve it, he seems to be saying. I don't deserve anything beyond being remembered when you enter your kingdom. But I believe you to be king. I believe you to be Lord. I believe you to be the one who you claim to be. And this crime that they say is a crime is not a crime. And yet, you innocent hanging there to save yourself and us. Remember me. I have no right to ask your mercy. I just want to be remembered. And can you imagine the joy that might have crept in his heart as he heard the Lord saying, today you will be with me in paradise. He's the first one to have those words of assurance that he will be in paradise, heaven, with God the Father for all eternity. He may not have been a good thief, but he certainly was repentant. And his prayer ought to be our prayer. It ought to be. Saying we deserve nothing. Just remember me, Lord, and I believe the same words will be said to us. Today you will be with me in paradise. 
So often we look at our lives and we become confused and we might say, well, why did this happen or why did that happen? Certainly nothing to the level of being crucified, perhaps not even being to the level of being beaten by rods. We might look at our lives and say, why? And the Lord would say, because I'm trying to teach you something. Our lives change when we begin to understand that what the Lord has allowed to happen in our life was necessary. And that the lesson that we can learn is a necessary lesson. I've come to that point in my life where I can look back and all the good and all the bad and say, yeah, I'm starting to understand how slow of heart I, or of understanding I am, how it was all necessary and how God is speaking to me in the midst of sin and in the midst of pain and in the midst of hope and in the midst of joy. The God is there. I'm called to be like Dismas. Jesus, remember me. Perhaps I didn't do anything necessarily to deserve this. But as a fallen human being, God is allowing something to happen to bring something good out of it. But I need to make Christ my king, and you do too. It's not a judgment. It's a statement of fact. We need to allow Christ to be our king. We need to turn to him and ask him, remember me. And I might ask this day, how is Christ to be king? And there are a number of ways, and there's three in particular that uh, would be good to talk about today, and, and one that, uh, a fourth one, and the, I'll start with the fourth one, but is Christ enthroned on our home? If people would enter your house, would they say, oh, truly, a Christian must live here, a Catholic must live here? Do we have images of the crucifixion, a crucifix in our rooms? Do we have the Sacred Heart or Divine Mercy? Or maybe as a close association, the Immaculate Heart enshrined in our homes? There's some booklets I've seen uh, appear. I don't know where they came from. But there's some booklets that describe how to enshrine the Sacred Heart into our homes. It's a beautiful custom. And by it, we claim Christ as our King for our homes. But he needs to be King of our hearts, too. And that's where the other three come into play. And they might break down to time, talent, and treasure. Do we spend time with the Lord proclaiming him king? Do we spend time in prayer every day? Do we spend time on Sundays, Saturday nights for those that like Saturday nights, but coming to Mass? Do we find time throughout the week? And do we spend our days and our work as a way of pleasing the Lord, of turning to the Lord and asking him to be with us? Our time and our talent how many gifts of talents God has given us, and do we use them for his praise and glory? Do we use them as ways and means of glorifying him? Or do we use them selfishly? Or worse, do we refuse to use them? When we use our talents and gifts for his kingdom, we declare him to be king and treasure. Do we give the Lord a portion of our money? Do we give the Lord a share of what we've gained, what he has given us? 
allowed us to earn. And perhaps today we might reflect on how do I give to the DMA? How do I give to the needs of the church beyond the parish? The needs of those so needy, perhaps birthright or, or other causes that support, uh, even if they're not explicitly Catholic, that certainly support what we believe as Catholics. When we share our treasure, we share with the King. We've come to realize that in the uh, olden times, in the days of kings and queens, the people of the kingdom would give the King the best. Are we giving the Lord the best of our time, talent, and treasure? Are we, by such things, declaring him as king? See, it's one thing to say, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. But it's a completely other thing to say, and this is how I am allowing you to be king this day of my life. We need to let the prayer of Dismas be our prayer. And not only our prayer, but influence our actions as well.